Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, a network for early career researchers. Hello, my name's Adam Smith. I work for the NIHR at University College London, and I'm pleased today to be hosting this week's podcast recording for the NIHR Dementia Researcher website. Uh, today we're going to be talking about joint dementia research. This is a topic I've been really looking forward to talking to for ages because I have played my kind of small role in in bringing this about. Um, so it's something I'm really pleased and I think is well overdue as, as having a conversation about. Um, so just to give some context for what joint dementia research is, a study published in the BMJ last year showed that 44% of RCTs failed to meet their final volunteer recruitment targets. And it's only a few years ago that charities were sharing frustrations from their supporters that they didn't know how to get involved in research studies. They'd see this exciting news about research studies that were in the headlines and then they'd have nowhere to find out about them or get in touch about them. And at the same time, of course, we've got these stats on the number of studies that were failing to recruit on time to target. And that kind of counts particularly, I think, for early career researchers, particularly those that are working in academia and, and in universities as opposed to in the NHS where you, you can have the best research question in the world but if you have no way of reaching out and finding people to become involved it becomes tricky. So we've got people on both sides. We have these people with dementia and their carers and family members who have no practical way of exercising their enthusiasm for studies and at the same time we have frustrated researchers. And so we're going to talk about today is joint dementia research, which solves all those problems, doesn't it? <laughs> so today I'm joined by Claire Shaw, who's a research delivery manager for joint dementia research, and two researchers who've actually made use of it. We've got uh, Victoria Shepherd from Cardiff University and Anne-Marie Greenaway, who's a research associate from the University of Reading. Hello, everybody. Hello. Uh, maybe we can start by just doing a little round table so we can uh, get to know a little bit more about everybody so if I can start with Claire maybe Yeah, so I'm Claire Shaw, I'm the Joint Dementia Research, affectionately known as JDR, so I will call it JDR a lot throughout this podcast um, Research Delivery Manager based at the NIHR Clinical Research Network Coordinating Centre in Leeds um, I've worked at the NIHR Clinical Research Network for nearly nine years um, most of them, well, the last six years have been in the Cancer Research Network and I started working on joint dementia research nearly three years ago when Adam's team passed it over for it to be run within the Clinical Research Network. Very so, effectively as well, can yes, I say. Yes, yes. We'll come on to that. <laughs> Anne-Marie. Uh, my name's Anne-Marie Greenaway and I am an early career researcher at the University of Reading and I'm currently recruiting participants via JDR. So you're doing a, are you doing your PhD right now? Or are you yes. Post, you do, how far in are you? Coming into my final year. Final year? And yeah. we did, is that three or five? Three. Three years, okay. So that's, that's an exciting... So you've remained Tense. quite focused <laughs> as well then to yes. not deviate. So what's your research, what's your, re, your area of research? So it's actually a PhD in biomedical engineering, but it's um, to do with dementia music and depression. Fantastic. 
and um, if I can come finally to you, Victoria. Yeah, so I'm Vicky Shepherd. Um, I'm from Cardiff University. Um, so I'm a researcher there. I'm involved in research in lots of different areas, uh, including care home research, um, but I also hold an NIHR fellowship uh, in which I'm exploring the sort of ethical, legal and practical issues around involving people who lack capacity to consent uh, in research. Uh, so, of course, this may include some people uh, with dementia at times, um, as well as lots of other conditions uh, that may involve cognitive impairment. And you've finished your PhD, right? Uh, so I'm coming to the end of it. Ah, you're so at the end it's of a doctoral well. fellowship. Okay, and I did actually see, if anybody's looking, I think fellowships have just opened for the NIHR as well. They're taking applications right now for the first part of this year. So just plug in for the NIHR there so thank you very much it's nice to meet everyone I should say that we've all apart from Anne-Marie I think I've known you for quite we've worked together for quite a while haven't we Victoria yeah we have three sort of care homes and uh, yeah and, and Claire and I work together pretty routinely because I, I as much as I'm don't involved in the day-to-day -day running of joint dementia research I do still play a role in my work in the office of the national director for dementia research and trying to make sure this is part of the care pathway and that patients um, become involved so actually, that's a good place to start. Claire, could we maybe come to you first and could you tell us a little bit more practically about, so what is JDR? Whoa, how does it work? So JDR is a registry for people who want to get involved in dementia research. So that can be people with dementia, their carers, healthy volunteers, anyone who's basically interested in doing dementia research signs up on to join dementia research and they can do that in three different ways. They can do it online so they can go on to Google JDR and find it and sign up online or they can do it with our three charity partners with Alzheimer's Research UK, Alzheimer's Society and Alzheimer's Scotland and you can phone them and they can do the registration over the phone and we still have the good old-fashioned paper-based applications and we use them in say for example in promotional um, materials and in, in GP surgeries or for an event etc so people can sign up in those three different ways. So to date, we've got nearly 40,000 people signed up on to JDR. So as I say, they're people that have signed up, ready, waiting to take part in research. And then the main part of my job is to work with researchers like Vicky and with um, Anne-Marie to get their studies onto JDR. So that means that we work with the researchers to put the main criteria of their study on to join dementia research. So, for example, if you're looking for people with Alzheimer's disease, aged between 70 and 80, and they live in a certain area, we will work with you to set your study up. And I say to people, it's a bit like Match.com. Maybe the viewers of early here are too young to know what Match.com is. <laughs> it's not like Tinder, no? No, there's no swiping. <laughs> so we match them together. So the people that um, want to take part in research and have certain criteria then match to the study. And then the researchers get a ready-made list of uh, uh, volunteers that could potentially may be eligible to take part in their study. And we say it's a bit of a starter for 10. You know, they're, they're given a list of um, volunteers that could potentially um, be eligible to take part in this study, but they have to screen the volunteers first. And then, and then follow up. So, yeah. so what kind of... 
What kind of people are registered then? I mean, is this... It's not only people with dementia, is it? No. So, as I say, out of the four, nearly 40,000 people who've got registered, roughly about 20% of those have got a diagnosis of dementia. And then we have a, a cohort as well, you know, of people that we call the worried well, that I'm not aware of a specific diagnosis. So the, those could be the people that may be going through their dementia journey. They might think that there's something wrong with their memory, but they don't have a formal diagnosis, or they might have gone to see their GP and that they're starting their journey and they're maybe not at um, the memory clinic or we have a lot of carers that sign up onto carers as well and that's good because I know there's a lot of early career research isn't there looking at family carers and and the roles they play and we have a lot of studies on on joint dementia research in the carer and um, area as well so it's not just studies for people with dementia we have yeah. a lot of studies for carers and also as a say we've got a lot of healthy what we call healthy controls people you know people without, without dementia, dementia. yeah, yeah no. and they're all ages so they're from 18 right up to 60 yeah. so no, right up to older the oldest yeah. person in jdr is 102 fantastic so, so pretty much there you would like to think that there's something for, like i don't think there's any demographic of people what dementia researchers will be looking for that isn't covered under that group and what so what what can we match on? What what do you actually so, ask these people? Yeah, to so when people sign up on to JDR, as I say, the, on the three different ways that you can, they're asked fourteen mandatory questions when they sign up, and they are age, name, postcode, if they've got a, a diagnosis of dementia, what type of dementia. So there's fourteen mandatory questions to start with, and then depending on how you answer the mandatory questions, it could lead into over a hundred questions being asked, um, and then. Vice versa, when we're matching the studies on with the researchers, it's the same questions that we kind of use to match. Yeah. So are you looking for males, females, the age range? And also we can go into more depth. It really depends on the study and depends on the number of volunteers that you're looking for. I say to people, JDR is more of an art rather than a science. So it's very important, we find when we're working with the researchers, that you have that conversation with the researchers to make sure what... Um, what they get out of JDR is exactly what they want because you have to remember when people sign up onto JDR, they're self-reporting. So they're saying what they think their disease is. And so someone might say, I've got mild Alzheimer's disease, but might actually be moderate. And the other thing that we have to take into consideration is JDR's three and a half years old, nearly four. People signed up, you know, onto JDR maybe a while ago and they haven't updated their record. Keeping and the record, So it's a huge push for us within the NIHR Coordinating Centre to get volunteers and researchers, if they notice there's something not right, you know, something's changed on a volunteer's record, to update that record with the volunteer's consent. So, so, so most of the core information there should be good enough to match to most studies by the sounds of it. So whether you've got, you know, age diagnosis, health conditions, disabilities, more about their domestic circumstances as well and whether they have a carer, some of its use for contacting, but fundamentally it, you, the onus is on the volunteer, the researcher then to look for the people and get in touch. Yeah, and what we do say is when volunteers sign up on to join Dementia Research, so when volunteers sign up, they can either get an email alert if they've signed up with an email account or what we're saying to researchers is these volunteers have signed up onto JDR and they're waiting to be contacted. Um, all researchers that use Joint Dementia Research have to go undergo some training. So, well, we've got Amory and and Vicky here who've used it, so... 
let's come back to the detail and can I maybe just come to you first, Vicky? So you've made use of it. What kind of what was the study you were recruiting to? So the study I uh, used uh, JDR for was part of my fellowship project, and this is a particular study called the Decision Study which is an interview study um, exploring family members' experiences of making decisions about research on behalf of someone who lacked capacity, so in this case a carer of a person uh, living with dementia. Um, and the, the aim of the study is eventually to develop a decision support tool to help family members who are approached to act as a consultee or a legal representative uh, on behalf of a, a person they care for. So were you specifically, did you go, because you can see how you might go about that two ways, did you match to people with dementia and then ask if they had a carer or did you match to carers? So I matched to carers um, and that in part was because, um, so the, because I was looking for people so carers of people with probably more advanced dementia um, and I wasn't certain that JDR would necessarily have captured that knowing that it's a, a relatively new um, programme so it, people might have signed up um, at perhaps an earlier stage of dementia. So I, um, I uh, searched initially through uh, carers um, and because I wanted carers who had decided that the person should take part in research as well as the person shouldn't take part in research. And I thought that was the best way of capturing that. Because you can see how that's tricky, isn't it? If you register to this and say, I'm a carer, unless there's some specific questions to then to find out, are you currently a carer, formerly a carer? Do you care for somebody with Alzheimer's? How severe is that person's progress? That's quite a, quite a hard group to actually get too straightforward. So was it, JDR was useful? Very useful. So these were people that I probably wouldn't have been able to approach uh, in, in great numbers in any other way. Um, so for example, out of the participants who took part in my study, about two thirds were recruited through joint dementia research. Um, and as I say, because it's a relatively rare experience, so not many people who lack capacity take part in research, so trying to identify people that have been involved in a decision on their behalf was, was generally quite a sort of small, small population, if you like. So having something like joint dementia research that has got a large geographical spread, um, it meant that I could start by identifying uh, eligible participants quite close to home because I wanted to visit them and do the interview face-to-face and then could widen that out as I needed a, a sort of larger pool yeah, of participants. To, to draw upon. So yeah. geographical location can also be part of the matching? Absolutely, yeah. So yeah. that's good. If you can also define, not only are you looking for these people, but I, I need them to be in this this area, that's that's what you really need, isn't it? Particularly yeah. for a study like yours. But equally then, I guess, does that mean you can put it on and say, I don't care where the people come from, particularly if it's a survey or something like yes. that that you're looking to? As I move... <laughs> Instantly across. Actually, before I come away from you, uh, Vicky, so what was the process you went through to, you know, how did you find it? Uh, how did you come about it? What was the process you went through to get your... So I knew about joint dementia research partly because of my involvement in care home research. Um, and so I contacted uh, joint dementia research, first of all, and as Claire has mentioned, had that conversation to see whether it might be uh, a suitable place to recruit participants. Um, then, as I'm sure we'll come on to, so then I had to provide information to Joint Dementia Research about the study the protocol, a copy of my approvals for the study, ethical approvals. Um, and then once we had decided on the geographical spread, um, so Joint Dementia Research were able to identify what sort of likely numbers of participants if I set the limits at certain, Fantastic. so, so 30 like miles a, and those sorts of So things. this was a conversation, it wasn't just like some some faceless, you fill in a form and then you get mm -hmm. a yes or a no, Not like, at some, all. No. like your ethics. Yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> 
no, so, no, no. So, so we're not ethics. Yeah, exactly. So it's very much, the, as a researcher, you're the expert in your sort of study and what sort of population you're looking uh, for. And then joint dementia research are the experts in knowing how joint dementia research might be able to match so that to that personal study. service. Well done, Claire. Thumbs, virtual <laughs> thumbs up. You can't see this. Uh, Anne-Marie, you've also used JDA, of course. So what, what kind of people were you looking for? Um, so I was looking for people, still am. Still 65 years and above, um, with and without a diagnosis of cognitive impairment. And it's an online survey, and it's across the UK. So do you only put that... So in that instance, do you just put this... Because, of course, do you care... Is there a chance that you might find enough of one type of person and not enough of the other, and so you have to stop recruitment to one bit and open another bit? So do, do you have to then put this on, like, cohorts? Do you say... Here's yes. one cohort. And, ah, okay. We've been tweaking along the study, and at present, I have um, more men than women recruited in my study. That's so we've changed yeah, the criteria to is, recruit women. I happen to know, just because I'm a nerd on these things, I happen to know that there are more women men with dementia, yes. dementia registered on JDR than there are men. Yes. So they fill in the surveys. So you, so this is an online survey. So does that mean you, do you actually still ring people and ask them to do it? Yes. So my study involves a telephone section, a brief cognitive screen, and then they complete the survey online. So there is contact with participants. Okay. So it's, it's not um, anonymised. Faceless, no. Ah, okay. So do you have your study on then twice with different cohorts? Yes. So we have the cognitively healthy arm and then the dementia arm, which includes mild cognitive impairment. Which is So that's clever then, so joint dementia research, and when you put it on in that way, and I guess this is where the, having the conversation comes in, it allows you to, to keep pace. So those studies that are looking for, say, ma- age matching, for example, so I want a yeah. 70-year-old with dementia and a 70-year-old without, allows you to flex the criteria to find exactly the, the kind of people you're looking for. And so what's been, so tell me, what's been your experience of, of using it? You've had to... We, we, if you wrote study something, were you ringing people yesterday? No, <laughs> Sunday yesterday. Yes. Maybe you, were, you can get older people. On yes, on Sunday because people can specify um, when they would like to be called okay. and if they say any time, I presume the weekend is okay. Yeah. And it usually is. And that's a cool thing, actually. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I, I can say this because I've been involved in this too, is I think that's one of the things you definitely encourage is... is is starting to recruit from a register is a bit different to recruiting, mm. you know, through a memory clinic or in the NHS where you're used to working these nine to five hours because, of course, we know particularly if you're looking for people who are maybe uh, not quite so old and haven't yet reached retirement age, they're probably busy through the day, right? I mean, Very but, busy. <laughs> so if you want to get hold of people on the phone, you ring them early evening and weekends and so there are no rules to joint dementia research that says you can't ring people on a weekend no all we say is when someone signs up on to joint dementia research they put their preference when they would like to be contacted and how they would like to be contacted and as part of the researcher training you know the researchers are, are, are advised you know to contact the the volunteers by their preferred method of contact albeit email telephone so not in the middle of the night but yeah. but evenings weekends when you're yeah. going to get hold of people which actually kind of lends itself really to early career researchers and students sleep. way of working <laughs> because well because you're writing through the day right and you've yep. got uh, you know other things to do so this doesn't tie you in that that way so what's it i mean 
So what do you do? Do you log in? I'm saying this like I don't know, right? <laughs> Just pretend I do. So do you log into a website? <laughs> so you log into the Join Dementia Research website and you um, bring up your study and then you have a list of your potential participants who you then pre-screen. So you can click on them and view all their information? Their details, yep. And if they are a match to your study, then you can go on to contact them through their preferred method of contact. So you were doing this yesterday. Yes. So how do, I mean, you know, what's the response like? I mean, you're phoning somebody, as much as they've registered into this, they have got, a, you know, some of these people have got a degenerative, you know, condition. Um, how, how do those phone calls go? I've had a really good experience with people and I, this is the first time using JDR so obviously I was a little bit apprehensive about you know, initial contact but even when circumstances have changed people have been very warm and open even though you've contacted them and it might be a little bit you know, touchy the situation. But because nobody picks up the phone now, right? I mean, who talks yeah. on the phone to anybody? You text. Yeah. Everybody, so getting over that hurdle and picking up the phone for the first time and even practical things like finding a quiet place to phone from, yeah. having a phone number. Do you leave people messages if they don't answer? I am very careful about what I leave just in case uh, they haven't disclosed your to family and friends. Phone, right? You're suddenly, you sat next to Claire and <laughs> saying, don't, don't. Well, I was an ex-dementia advisor oh, okay. prior to my research, mm. so there's training there that you, know, you just don't disclose unless you know it's okay um, to leave a message. So, Anne-Marie. So your phone yeah. and you, you explain about your study and positive. Just a brief one. Yes, yes. It's been really That's good. Is just that the same for you, Vicky? Yes, I, mean, I found a lot of the participants I was contacting, the carers, um, preferred email contact. Um, and so I would make contact initially mostly through email. Um, and it meant I could provide just a little bit of information up front, uh, invite the person to uh, contact me either back by email or by telephone, and I could provide further information. Um, it also meant I could then provide an information sheet attached to an email about the study as well if they wanted that next level of information. Um, and a lot of the conversations with the carers who were volunteers um, was to try and establish if they might be eligible for the study, which often took yeah. a bit of a conversation. And I think, I, I suppose the good thing is, is there's no rules around this. I mean, I suppose, actually, it, it can lend itself to whichever way you want to work, whether you email some information in advance and then follow up with the phone call saying, did you get my email, or whether you pick up the phone and, and then email afterwards. The good thing is, is you've got both, you've got both options. And I guess not everybody has email because some people might sign up over the yeah, phone. Yeah, people have signed. So we, when we're training researchers, you know, that way, um, if they have an email, the preferred method is by email, etc. Or, as I said earlier, you know, that way when volunteers match to a study, if they do have an email account, they can log on to the system and they can physically go in and tick that they're interested. And that would highlight to Anne-Marie or Vicky that that person's really interested in, in taking part. And then as a researcher, they have five working days. We don't spontaneously chuck you off the system if you don't, but mm -hmm. five working days to get back in touch with that volunteer. But one of the key parts um, you know, when we're training researchers is telling them not everybody's got an email account. So if someone's not ticked that they're interested, it doesn't mean they're interested, it's just they don't potentially yeah. maybe have an online account. And this so, isn't like cold calling, is no. it? It's, you're not phoning people out of the blue. These are all people who are motivated, wanted to sign up, have provided their details, and probably are more, more annoyed when they don't get 
and the feedback, contacted them when they do. Yeah, the feedback we get from our charity partners is people are waiting to be contacted, not they've been contacted too many times. So, so yeah. coming back to you, Claire, then. So let's get a little bit into the detail that we started to talk about before. So lots of our listeners, I'm hoping, are early career researchers out there thinking, oh, my goodness, I had <laughs> no idea this could be so useful. Um, so tell me... How do you go about using it? It's dead easy, okay? Um, so if you're an early career researcher and you want to use JDR, if you go to our website, it's maybe not the most attractive website, but there is a section on the website for researchers. And then in, in, in the section on researchers, there's a link to... Um, a form, a Google form to um, put some basic information about your study onto that Google form. And that triggers the conversation to start between ourselves and with the, the researchers. And it tells us a little bit information about your study, about yourself. And then, as I say, um, my colleague James or myself will phone the researcher and start that conversation. So if you submit the form on the Monday, you'll probably get an email back Tuesday, Wednesday, and the, and the conversation can start that week. That's great. And the other thing to say, it's free. Well, that was that's in my <laughs> yes, question. Yes. Is it free? It <laughs> is free. And I think people think, oh, that's amazing. There must be a catch, you know, that way. So but it's, it's free. free. This, is, this is a government funded by the Department of Health and no researchers are charged to use it and no, no. volunteers are charged to register. No, the only prerequisite that we have for your studies to go on to join dementia research is that it's got ethics approval, and that can be university ethics or NHS ethics, and it would benefit from using a registry, and we have permission from the chief investigator to use JDR. So how long does it take then? So, as you said, you start your example there, you apply on the Monday, you get a phone call a couple of days later. How soon after that do you think before you can start actually getting hold of people? It, it, you could do it in a week, you know, really? depending if you've got your ethics approval. And the other thing that I probably should have mentioned There's was... training, right? Yeah, but you, you can do that at night. These people don't so sleep. So the training, you know? no, because you now don't have to wait. Because you don't have to wait to physically be trained. No, it's online. No, the training moved online in August. We now have the training online, um, which is you get, a, again, when you fill in the form, it's a trigger for us and we'll send out the information about the online training. And then you can check whether they've done it. Yeah, there's a, a competency-based test at the end, which is pretty straightforward and if you score 7 out of 10 you pass and then you'll be issued with a username and password. Um, so as I say, I would like on. to say a week from start to finish, but depending on capacity, I would always say to someone don't expect to get it on in a week, a couple of weeks. just Because to there is window. unless things have changed, so my knowledge on this might be that you do have to make sure that your recruiting from this is mentioned in your ethics, right? Yes. So when you submit your ethics, um, you have to mention that you're using joint dementia research as a recruitment tool. And it varies. Sometimes people have done it or they haven't. And it, it all varies what stage the, the early career researcher comes to us. The earlier, the better. The pun so on the word there. So even though it can <laughs> be done in yes. a week or two, still it's better to come and seek that advice before. Yeah. Also, because well, then you can do the feasibility and say how helpful you think you're going to be. Yeah, we could say to Anne-Marie, you know, or you Vicky, uh, yeah, <laughs> if you use JDR, we can get you X amount of volunteers. OK. Um, but it's pretty straightforward, you know. And if they've already got their ethics, um, do they, I mean, because ethics is, can be 
we recorded a release public podcast a few weeks ago on ethics. Ethics can be challenging, right? Is that a problem getting the ethics changes in your experience? No. Um, If the researchers mentioned joint dementia research in their IRS form or their university ethics to start with, that's fine. If they haven't, we always say that's not a problem either. You can submit a non-substantial amendment and we have templates on our website. So it's not... So it's a a non-notifiable... Non-substantial amendment. amendment. So next time you put in an amendment, you just put that in with it. So it doesn't. Yeah. It's no barrier again. No, again, it's it's fast. You know that way. Fantastic. And I think we've already covered it. This is a question as to what researchers see. But fundamentally, you see all the volunteer information, and you can see the notes on conversations that they mm. might have had with others. Because of course, it's not unrealistic to think that you might look at somebody on a Monday and they've already. Anne-Marie had phoned them already the day before and so you want to be able to see what that conversation went like so you can build up a picture before you phone people. Yeah, I found that note section very helpful, um, particularly when, as you say, people's preferences, they can indicate email or telephone. um, But often there's another level behind that preferences. So they might say, try my email first. If I don't respond, please give me a call. So there might be ability to put finer details on that. But also when uh, other researchers have been in contact with them, there might be that the circumstances have changed. So uh, for my particular study, knowing that the carer, perhaps the person that they care for is now moved into a care home, for example, or the person has sadly died, might well change whether you think that they might be suitable for the study or not. So having that level of detail in those notes was very helpful. And having early... Honestly, I think... I I can't stress this enough, is having these kind of studies on from early career researchers is really important because not everybody who signs up to this is looking for a drug trial or is looking for some kind of intervention in that way. And I think actually completing surveys and, and giving your opinions and doing focus group work or things like this actually can be a nice segue into doing doing things Uh, and the feedback from our our volunteers they like doing these you know they don't all want to be doing the large and you can do this without leaving your house right i mean because i think that is a barrier some people feel like leaving my house adding extra appointments in can be a challenge so it's and i i mean i've met lots of early career researchers across at the aic last year we had a few talk to us who've said how really helpful this has been but don't take my word for it <laughs> Victoria and Anne-Marie what, ad- what advice let's go to Vicky first of all what advice would you give for anybody who's thinking about using the system um, so I think you know knowing whether it's going to be suitable for your study or not is, is key having a conversation with joint dementia research is key um, and then once you are recruiting through joint dementia research as I say looking in detail at those notes before you start contacting them so you, 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 you're informed about uh, the volunteer and, and their circumstances. Um, and also, so a lot of the people that I interviewed for my study spoke about their experiences of, of, of being volunteers on joint dementia research and how much they very much wanted to help in any way. Um, and in actual fact, when I was discussing eligibility with potential participants and they weren't eligible, actually disappointing people in some ways that they weren't going to be suitable was a you know was, yeah. was something to bear in mind. Um, but but the, the carers I spoke to spoke about how actually you know they're quite busy people they have a lot a lot to do um so actually having that flexibility so being flexible in how you contact them um and if possible flexible about 
their participation in the study, so say going to their own home for a lot of people felt like a real bonus. They felt able to take part in research because the sort of burden of yeah. getting somewhere was minimal. And it isn't to say that people won't travel. I mean, I've seen, mm -hmm. I've seen that people will travel for you know as long as considerations into things like covering travel expenses, practicalities are involved. But quite often, people are quite happy to come forward and have blood tests and scan tests and and you know take. Uh, participating in long-term interventions as well. There's no rules, is there, around it must only be for this period of time. It's just, in fact, so the rules are, it's got to have ethics, suitable to recruit from a study, you've got to do the training and fill in the right paperwork, and fundamentally that's that's it. The only other thing that we need to mention is, um, which is a bit governance. Um, if you don't have an NHS substantive contract, this is for data protection, we need to have a data sharing agreement with the institution that you're employed with. So, for example, with the University of Reading or the University of Cardiff, but that's a one-off data sharing agreement. So we, when Anne-Marie would come to us to do a study, we would check if we already had that governance in place with the University with the Reading. of Reading. And if we didn't, we would start that process. So if it's a new university that we haven't worked with in the past, that's something just to bear in mind we need. Sometimes that can take a little bit of time to, to get to that. And now that, right? as I say, JDR is nearly four years old, most institutions we do have a, a data data sharing agreement it's yeah. changed its name since GDPR mm -hmm. um, but that you know we do have a checks and measures just in the governance to make sure people are covered how about you Amory what, um, what's your advice for others I was the others? first from my university yes. so I, I feel very <laughs> proud <laughs> that I've now opened the doors for all um, all students at the university so that's that's School good. one for me. <laughs> well, and it's great for us because we do get repeat business. You know, when someone starts using it, the word of mouth as well. And, and in you universities, want them to match the studies, right? I mean, this yeah. isn't kind of this isn't some private cohort that you're coveting oh, and <laughs> keeping to yourself. The whole point here is is that people get involved. And yeah. this is, I mean, in my some of my work in the day job is is trying to make sure that NHS care pathways are promoting and telling people about this so that they can become involved. And that is, I know, something we ask researchers to do that. If you're going to take people out, you'll try and play a role in getting people to come back in. So if you do find other study participants through other sources, yeah. you might tell them how beneficial JDR is to to them. Oh, yes. <laughs> getting that plug in there. Well, do you know what? I think honestly, I had a couple of other questions, but we've covered them throughout this throughout this conversation. So just, I think the clearly here the strong message is: is joint dementia research is there for everybody. It's free. It's free. We should all make use of it. If you're out there in the UK... Ah, that is a point. So a lot of our listeners aren't only in the UK. Ah. If I, if I work in the States, can I recruit from this? No. No. Not even if I've got ethics in the States. And it's has a to be UK ethics. Ah, so that's a bit of a challenge. Maybe we should look at how we can broaden that out. UK ethics is... Um hard enough Adam maybe in the future we could look to see if you had ethics approval in America could you recruit so anybody we overseas if you find yes. a UK collaborator <laughs> yes Anne-Marie and Vicky are very open to, to recruiting to your study from across the UK. So, um, but actually what we should say is, is that this, obviously joint dementia research applies to the UK, so that's England, Wales, Northern Ireland, Scotland, yes. the Channel Islands and the Isle of Man. Yes. 
they can all use it. Um, but there are similar registers in other countries as well. So you do in the US, of course, you've got trial match um, in the, and other systems in the Netherlands. I'm working with uh, colleagues in Sydney right now to set up something there called Step Up for Dementia Research, which will based on the same principles from joint dementia research in the UK. So um, by all means, have a look around. Usually the local charity will play a part in this, so they might be able to signpost you. Okay, it's time to end today's podcast recording. I'd like to thank our panellists, Claire, Anne-Marie and Victoria. Um, is there any final points you'd like to add before we move along? No? Just one other thing. When I speak to researchers and telling them about JDR, I say, why wouldn't you use JDR? You know, I think, you know, put the shoe in the other foot, you know, I, there's no reasons, I don't think there's reasons why you wouldn't want to have this ready-made list of people that want to take part in research. Now, you're all, I happen to know, you're all on social media as well, so why don't yes. we just, what's your, what's your Twitter name, so if people want to reach out to you and get in touch and ask questions, do you remember them? No, it'll be somewhere, it's not, it's not intuitive, okay, well, it's got lots is, of numbers. Claire's will be in the bio that's <laughs> published on the website. Anne-Marie, do you remember yours? At AMG underscore PhD. Fantastic. And I'm at Vicky L. Shepherd, and I also tweet through at Decision Study. I can now say mine. Mine is at Claire SH 4165231. That's got a ring to it, hasn't it? That's a snappy name. Thank you very much, everybody. Um, if you've got anything to add on this topic, please do post your comments in the forum or on our website or do drop us a line using the hashtag ECR Dementia um, through Twitter. And, and as I, we've got everybody's, all of our panellists' Twitter names and I know they're all happy to take questions as well. And we've also got Pon, uh, uh, we've also got profiles on all of our panellists who will be uh, featured on the website so thank you very much finally please remember to share, subscribe and leave a review on our podcast through SoundCloud iTunes and Spotify if you would like to use Joint Dementia Research I think the website is www.joindementiaresearch.nihr.ac.uk and um, Claire will Claire will help you in any way she can thank you very much and, and thank you again to all of our panellists Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This was a podcast brought to you by Dementia Researcher. Everything you need in one place. Register today at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk.